Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to the Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Do you have a mate that doesn't seem great? Maybe their team is up, but they're still down. A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Dare Iced Coffee, a proud partner of Are You Okay? Welcome to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton. Each week I talk to people from across the sporting landscape to reflect on their career, whether it's past or present, discuss their struggles and the successes, what they've learnt along the journey and ways in which we can all support each other through the challenges that life presents. Our guest tonight is one of Australia's most celebrated swimmers. She's a four-times Olympian, three-times Olympic gold medalist, wow, including recently in Tokyo, which was added to her haul of some 56 medals up on the world stage. She's become an enthusiastic advocate and voice for young women in sport, having endured many struggles of her own whilst growing up as an elite sports person on the world stage. It's my pleasure to welcome Emily Seabom to the conversations that could for Are You OK? Good evening, Emily. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, hanging in there. Now, can I get this right? How does the family want your surname pronounced? <laughs> Okay, well, if you ask my family, family, they would say Seabom. But if you ask my like immediate family, we just say Seabom. Beautiful. All right. And your father, you're from Queensland, but you're really a Glenel Glenel girl, aren't you? Was born in South Australia. Yep. Um, moved to Queensland when I was two, though, so I don't really remember too much. But Dad still has family down in country South Australia. So, yeah, we try and see them as much as we can. Yeah, and you, you know he was a pretty good player in the uh, Sandfall, South Australian National Football League, won premierships, key position player. Yeah, don't worry. He tells us all the time. There's a lot of photos of Dad and his favourite number is 31, which was his playing number. So yeah. if you want to ever get into anything of his, it's got 31 in it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Now, you've been brought up in the family of, I think you, all your siblings were boys, weren't they? They were, yeah, three brothers. So uh, life was, was tough for me from the get-go, um, but it made me a very strong girl. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. It, it is amazing, isn't it? You, I get to learn about a lot of people doing this show and the upbringing. I mean, of course, there is, you know, the nature and the natural way, the genes your parents pass on. But the environment, the environment of being the one and only girl competing, I'd imagine you competed in the backyard with the boys and you would have played all those boys' sports because that's what they're running with. And that has bred into you a psyche, I would imagine, and and yeah. a want to endure and succeed. A hundred percent. I 
everything in my household was always a competition, whether it was, you know, a competition to finish your dinner first. So you got to the TV before everyone else and you got to put on your own show, or it was a competition to get to the computer and get on the internet before anyone else or competitions in the pool, competitions on the trampoline, competitions in the backyard. It was, it was competition central at my house. And, um, that's what me, what, got my passion for swimming was the competition side of it I just loved to win um beating boys was like it was amazing for me it made me feel so great beating boys so at the beginning of my career when I was a youngster beating boys came real real, really natural to me but then obviously at some point the boys get better and you can't beat them anymore I would imagine also that with a lot of Young girls, 9 out of 10, they pinch their brother. The brother turns around and gives them a whack. They dob on dad with tears in their eyes. The boy gets sent to the room and the girl gets her way. What she wants to watch on TV or whatever. I'm tipping you just hit back. I, of course, hit back. I definitely had some pretty nasty fights with my brothers. Um a lot of bleeding in our early years, <laughs> bit of bit of nose bleeds and stuff like that. But honestly, if we ever made up stories or if I went and told on my brothers, everyone would get a smack. So kind of wasn't beneficial to do that. It was kind of better to just fight your own way out of there. So, Emily, I'll tie it in with that, that upbringing when we get into your swimming competition in a second. But... 14, you were being hailed as the next big thing. I mean, that's a 14-year-old child. I've watched that interview where uh, at your local pool with your coach and you were yeah. saying you wanted to be the next big wave, I think the actual quote was. Do you yeah, look back at I've that? I've seen that. It's awful video. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, things happened really quick for me. Uh, I always loved swimming. I made my first junior team at 11. Um, and I look at 11 year olds now and think they're such little babies that are tiny little kids. And at 11, I was traveling Australia and, and racing at meets and being away from home. And then when I got to 14, I made my first senior Australian team and I was traveling overseas for the very first time. I'd never been on a, on a big plane. I'd never traveled international before. And that just became my life. And it just kind of came out of nowhere, but also, I I wanted it so bad and I loved racing and I just thrived in that environment. And I, I know that there are people who, who dedicate themselves to careers and the likes and they almost get to the very top end. My own brother, he was going for his master's, 25 years of violin, and in the end, three months out, he just put it down and went, I can't do that anymore. You guys, you get up at ungodly hours you swim for hours and hours a day if there was one thing in life that would make me go oh that's enough it's getting up at those hours and going training at those times and then repeating the dose in the afternoon yeah yeah it can get super repetitive and um early on when I was still going to school we were getting up at about quarter to five and training from five till about seven thirty. then getting ready going to school going to school for the day and then coming back to training in the afternoon for four till six thirty at times and then dinner and bed and repeat the day so yeah it was like we 
I had many times where I wanted to give up, but I guess I had such a dream for myself and I knew what I was capable of doing. And I was always one of those athletes that always wanted more. I always thought that there was more to me. There was more I could do. I could always get better. Um, and I never wanted to give that up. Because uh, I just, I just knew there was more to me so, every time. So the the dream is the end result, Emily. What is it like in the moment of those times, slogging out those endless kilometres, hundreds of kilometres each week? I'd imagine in the pool, it, it's unfathomable to the average person. <laughs> yeah, but for me, it was it was autopilot. I'd been doing it for so long that. Um, those sessions for me were just like, it was like getting in there and, and riding a bike. Like, yes, some days were super hard and super challenging and I wanted to quit sometimes, but I always knew that end result was there. And I always just kept thinking about it because I wanted to get there. I wanted to see these amazing places. I wanted to be on these teams, this Australian team. You've got to qualify every year to make it. And I wanted to go every year I wanted to go. So there was definitely not enough time for me to breathe. And swimming was was my thing. It was more important for me than going to school. So I loved it. So you said you were 11 and you were travelling around Australia and you were going to the swimming meets there. You were out of your own bed uh, at that stage. Were you conditioned to then be the natural on-tour athlete by the time you were an adult and and world's best? I guess when I finally made my first senior team, I didn't know what to expect. And you're on a team and for me, like, watching – the swimming and seeing all these big stars you're on a team with Grant Hackett with Liesl Jones Jessica Shipper Libby Trickett you're on this team with these superstars that you've watched and they're like you know double my age and I'm just there as this 14 year old kid probably texting my school friends going how cool is this like look at where I am right now and you're at school so actually of those girls you mentioned if you had to, if they said, Emily, you've got the first choice, which one do you want a room with? <laughs> Who's the best roommate out of them? Honestly, uh, I had so many different roomies over the years. Uh, I don't think I ever roomed with those girls because I was always so young. So they yeah. tried to keep me with someone else that was close in my age. Um, but at the Olympics in Tokyo, I was rooming with Emma. McCann, um, who obviously did amazing, and Jessica Hansen and Jenna Strout. So that for me was like an amazing room because every day Emma was coming back with a new medal, and we were we were looking at it and cheering her on, and that was pretty cool. So what does that do for the group when you see somebody come back in with another medal? Uh, does obviously you, you you're pleased for them? Does it? Yeah. Is it like somebody coming back into the pavilion who's just knocked off the last bout and you say, right, we're on a roll as a team? Yeah, I definitely felt like, okay, if Emma can do it, I can do it. So, I mean, her coming back in and she just won another gold medal and looking at them and seeing them, at this stage I hadn't seen any yet. Like she was the first one 
to bring a medal back to our room. So it was even cool just to see it and feel it and touch it. And I think from then I trained, I was training with Emma at the time too. So for me, it was, it was awesome because I'd seen her preparation and I'd seen what she was able to achieve in Tokyo. And I guess I just had to leave it up to the preparation that I had. And I knew that I had a really good one. And you just never can control what anyone else is going to do in the race. But I know I could control what I was going to do. And I just put everything into it. We're chatting with Emily Seabon. Emily, you've become a bit of an advocate for young females in sport. So obviously you want to see your sport succeed and you want to see it grow. And the more participation, the better the outcome will be. But this is right across the board you want to see this happening. 100%. I think my sport is amazing and we live in Australia where pretty much most of the time it is swimming weather and we're not far from either a pool or a beach or a dam or a lake or a river or whatever it might be. We're always so close to water. So being able to swim is such a good skill to have. And I think it's such an important skill to have being close to water. And I want to share my sport with literally everyone. And if everyone can get involved in swimming, I think that's great. And I can't wait to see what happens with the sport over the years and how much it's going to change and improve and get better and hopefully be one day as big as AFL is in this country. But who knows? Now, this is not on the rundown. I just wanted to ask for myself. Have you ever seen footage of Eric Musambani at the 2000 Olympics? Yes. Eric the Eel. And you mentioned, yeah, we want swimming pools. At, I mean, poor little Eric was swimming across rivers and things like that. I think he was wading them most of the time. As an Olympian, what do you think when you saw Eric the Eel, the footage of Eric the Eel? Because you would have only been about six or seven when that happened. I think I was seven, but it's one of the most talked about swimming things that has ever happened apart from that and smashing the guitars. That's what everyone thinks about when they go to 2000. Yeah. So it's bloody brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was entertaining for us and and wonderful in a way that, that a young man who was up against it just wouldn't give up, just kept going no, to the end. I thought he was going to sink. Yeah, no, exactly. But that's what swimming is. Like when you have a really good community, everyone's cheering for you. So... Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? I want to talk to you about that community in a second. We're going to go to a break. We're talking with Emily Seabom. The conversations that could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? You're listening to The Conversations That Could for Are You OK? And our guest tonight is Olympic swimming champion Emily Seabom. You've just arrived home. You've been doing a show called The Challenge. Can you tell us what The Challenge is? I can tell you The Challenge Australia is season one, very first time that it's ever going to happen. It is based off an American show that started a very long time ago and has been running now for 38 seasons. So they finally decided to do an Australian version of it. And basically it is, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's all your favourite reality stars because <laughs> some people you might not be a fan of, some people you might, some people you might know, some people you probably won't know at all. I mean, there were people I didn't know, but, hey, it was a lot of fun. Um, there's 22 
of, I guess, your favorite reality stars or athletes or someone you might know of, heard of, maybe someone you don't like, but it was a lot of fun and I can't wait for it to air. I'm very, very excited to see it. Well, what do and they do? What, 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 what do these 22 people do? Basically, we all live together. Um, it's kind of like a mix of Big Brother mixed with um, Survivor mixed with alcohol and parties and oh. it's like a sporting competition almost. But, yeah, it's it's just there's so much more to it that's really hard to explain that you just kind of have to see it. So it's not like I'm a celebrity, which, which I have done, I, so I understand what it is, and you've done where they starve you? No, don't get starved at all, which was amazing. That was really, really nice. Um, we live in, in quite a nice house as well, so that was also different living inside, not having to be outside with the animals, not have to eating weird things or um, climbing into snake pits, none of that, um, which was good. I really enjoyed that that part of it but uh yeah it's not maybe as light-hearted where everyone gets along we weren't definitely singing around the fire pit kumbaya but we probably should have been at the end oh right okay so it's yeah all right so i imagine you'd be under some secrecy clauses too you can't tell us what happens no can't really explain too much of it but <laughs> i can Definitely tell you that you'll want to watch it. Everybody, keep an eye out for Emily Seabom in the challenge. She can't tell you what it is, but just keep an eye out. <laughs> Airing on Channel 10 and Paramount. Hey, you touched on as well the community, the swimming community. You have been outspoken about transgender athletes who are crossing over and desiring to swim in the female side of, of the swimming meets and you've made yeah. a stance on that and you, you've you've quite erudite in the way you've actually um, prosecuted your case with that. Would you, could you rephrase it for us here? I guess for me, um, swimming is such a sport that everyone should be a part of, but obviously it's, it's super hard to work out the blurred lines that can happen. Um, with transgender athletes. Obviously, I'm not a scientist. I don't know any trans athletes. Um, so it's really hard for me to speak on a behalf that I'm not completely sure of. But from my understanding and where I think FINA sit now is that if you don't transition before a certain time, it does give you an advantage um, then later in life transitioning from male to female and then joining a female sport, there is benefits later in life. Um, so they have to sort of do it by a certain time to be able to join the female competition. So I think now that there is actually a decision that's made, it, I believe it makes it more opening. I know some people don't see it like that, but it gives an entire race to transgender athletes and I feel like that's super important because not only would they just see one or two that would make it through they could see a whole final of transgender athletes and it gives them an opportunity to swim with everyone being involved and and this way we don't have those athletes that could protest it come to a me medal ceremony or something like that where an athlete feels that they don't deserve the medal that they got so they're not going to stand on the podium because of a transgender athlete winning. 
it takes away the political stand in that scenario. And I think that's super important because we do want to see transgender athletes in our sport. But we need to make sure that everyone's going to be supportive of that. Chatting with Emily Seabom, a three-time gold Olympic medalist. Emily, is it true that you overheard the conversation or you were told directly that, hey, you'll swim faster if you are lighter? Yes. Uh, yeah, my one of my coaches uh, told me that. Um, also <laughs> compared me to a 12-year-old girl and asked why I didn't look like that. I think at the time I was like 26 or 25, 26. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm meant to look like a 12-year-old girl, but certainly makes you feel uncomfortable when you're standing on the pool deck in your togs. And it made you uncomfortable. Did you feel you had to take any steps to alter the shape of your body, either through diet or training? At the beginning, um, when little things were being said, I very much was in the mindset of being angry and being like, I don't need to do that. Like, who are you to tell me that I, I need to lose weight? I've always been um, this kind of body weight. When I swim, like I've not really varied too much in my body weight over the years. Um, and I just went with what made me feel good as a person and as an athlete. And that's always when I perform my best. And yeah, it went from anger very quickly to then me kind of looking in the mirror and going, okay, I noticed this part here, or I noticed something on my waist or my legs or whatever it might be. So then it was, okay, I can see things in the mirror. And then it went into kind of, okay, how do I, how do I change this? Like, what do I need to do different? And yeah, the spiral for me was very quick and uh, it happens very fast and goes very dark, very quick. So you say the spiral, what was the end result of the spiral? Uh, the end result of the spiral for me was um, going as long as I could without eating, over-exercising, binging, and then purging. Um, What's a purge for a swimmer when you say purge? Purging is when you you try to – you've had – so for me, I went as long as I could without food, and then obviously I got really, really, really hungry. So then I would eat stuff and – Obviously, when you are so hungry and you just can't control yourself, you go for quick fixes, something that's not going to take long to to make. Like it's obviously not going to be a healthy meal. It's it's a bag of chips or it's chocolate or lollies. It's something very quick that you can get into it and eat. And then you then I get you get the guilt. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'd worked so hard. Um, why did I do that to myself? So then you go and make yourself sick to get rid of it, to go, okay, like I got rid of it, so I'm good now, I'm good again. So th that's that's a form of bulimia, literally. Yeah, bulimia and, I mean, my dietician also um, told me that I have anorexia. But for me, like I never thought that because I associated anorexia with like someone where you can see that bones and I never – felt like I was uh, like skinny 
to to have that so I never really believed that but I definitely knew like 100% knew I had bulimia because I could you know make myself sick whenever I wanted to almost yeah wow in the words of my mother you're a tall lass you're six foot so you've got to carry a bit of bit of size on you don't you I I think I have seen somewhere saying you're mid-60s in terms of kilos which and I understand sports people are constructed quite differently to all those body mass indexes and everything, but that would seem perfectly normal for a fit, strong power athlete at your height. Yeah. um, I mean, I was always roughly around the same weight when I competed um, and I never took too much notice of it. I never had to worry about doing dexters or skin folds or anything like that. My coach always said like, you're going to swim your best if you feel your best. And we would get weighed in, um, but then when he left and I moved to a different program, uh, that's when just, you know, stuff was not as normal as what I was used to. I started getting skin folds on the pool deck twice a week. I was getting dexters once a month. And, um, yeah, I mean, I even lost my period for a year and a half because I was so malnourished in what I was doing to my body. And it really kind of took me down a downward spiral and it was hard for me to enjoy life uh, because I couldn't go to restaurants with my friends. I never wanted to go and eat or, you know, I wanted to stay home because that was my safe place and I knew that I didn't have anything bad at home that I could eat. And I think, yeah, I missed out on a lot of life and I wish I could go back and take some of that away or tell people a lot sooner than what I did. Um, But when you're an athlete, you're so individually driven to do things. And when someone tells you as an athlete, you can go faster if you just lose weight, you know, I would give up everything to, to get faster. faster, to get better because I'm competitive. I wanted to win and I would, yeah, I probably if I was to go back, I'd probably still do the same thing because I just wanted to win that bad. Well, well hold that thought because if I was to say to you, Emily Seabom, you got a chance to go back in time with all the knowledge you have now. Could you change that eating pattern and still achieve those amazing results you did, or was that the only way you could achieve by punishing your body in that way? Definitely not. If I knew what I knew now um, with all the knowledge and the way that I felt in those moments, I would have moved programs a lot earlier than what I did. I waited way too long and I know I did and I had thoughts about moving for so long and I just didn't want to do it because, you know, Brisbane was my comfort zone and I grew up in Brisbane, mum and dad were in Brisbane, everything was there for me and I didn't want to leave that. Um, But because I was in this really dark place, I wasn't even using the comfort that I had around. I was really isolating myself and staying home a lot. And um, yeah, I wasn't willing to kind of put myself out there and go somewhere different at that time. I just, for me, like it was competing at the trials in 2019 when I missed the team for the very first time since I made the team when I was 14. And that was the wake up call where I was like, okay, I actually need help. I need to leave this situation. I can't, 
I can't continue where I am. I'm in a really dark place and I needed to move on. And that was the push that I needed to actually just do it, bite the bullet, move to the Gold Coast and train with Michael Bowl. And honestly, I, I wish I did it earlier because I could have achieved way more being there in a, in such a great environment, training with these amazing athletes. So training with Emma, training with um, Taylor McEwen, who's, who Kaylee's there now as well, her sister, who obviously won three gold medals in, in Tokyo. So, yeah, if I could go back I w- and knew what I knew now, I would, I would have moved way earlier. But if I didn't know what I know now, I would have done the same thing over again because when someone tells you, especially a coach that you trust and believe in and they tell you, like, if you do this, you will get faster. There's no other way. Like he said to me that you can't train any better. You're training the best you can. All you need to do is do this. Like if I didn't know any better, I would do the same thing over and over again because that's just the athlete that I was. I was willing to risk everything. And Emily, in this area, there are some charities. Well, there is one specific charity you work with in this specific area. Yeah, I do. I actually had a connection with the family that runs the charity. I went to school with their daughter who suffered a really bad eating disorder. So for me, it comes really natural um, to work with a charity that is close to my heart. And when I know people as well, it makes it extra special. So the charity is called End Ed. And they're basically, they run... They're trying to get a house up and running for girls or boys that leave a facility um, and they need a next step before they rejoin into society and kind of get those triggers back in their life. So it's it's kind of like a halfway house between going back into the real world but still having that support at home that you can go to. So, yeah, it's really special to be able to work with them. And obviously they were my charity heading into the jungle. So I've... I've tried to raise as much money as I can for them and we'll continue on trying to work as best as we can to get information out there to people. And if you want more info on End Ed, head to www.ended.org.au. Our guest tonight is Emily Seabom. This is The Conversations That Could, brought to you by Dare Iced Coffee. Kickstart a conversation with Dare. And are you OK? The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it. But a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the Conversations That Could. I'm Dermot Brereton and our guest tonight is Emily Seabom, Olympic swimming champion with a remarkable 56 international medals to her name. Emily, there's been some uh, accusations over recent years about really bad behaviour by some swimming coaches. Were you guys... Did you ever talk about it as a fraternity to look out for it, try and identify, you know, predatory coaches and the likes? Or is that just something it's really unfortunate that for those people who were in the wrong spot at the wrong time coming through the sport? I think this one's such an interesting conversation because I think it happens way more than anyone actually knows or understands. But I have never experienced it myself. Um I think finding a a good coach can be super hard. I have obviously had an experience with a bad coach, not that it was anything 
physical, but it was a lot of emotional stuff that took me to a really dark place. So I can understand they have such a hold over you and a hold over your career. And um, it can be super tough at times. So I find it really hard listening to stories that happened so long ago. And I think that when I'm getting older, I'll probably hear stories from what has happened through my career. And I guess I've, I've never heard anything around uh, competitions or whether it be on teams or anything about anything inappropriate happening. So I guess I don't want to say that makes me feel lucky because I'm sure in 20 years time, I'll hear a story about some coach that I had an involvement in, or hopefully I don't. I mean, I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope that we're in a time in our lives where we don't have that happening. Um, but it, it's, it's a sad world sometimes and people aren't always nice, amazing people. There are some bad people out there and it, it breaks my heart to know that people have been tainted in the swimming world um, and they, you know, ha- are doing something that they love and someone kind of takes that passion away. I think that's the, the hardest part about it. Because you guys, and when I say you guys, you swimmers, you are so young when you come into the care and therefore trust uh, the people who are guiding you through a career from a young age and vulnerable. Exactly. I mean, I was 11 um, when I first made my junior team and I was away from mum and dad. I was travelling with other kids, um, other adults. I think, you know, for me, my coach was like my second dad. Like he's, I saw my coach more than I probably saw my dad at times. So they become – you have this bond with your coach and I can understand – um, like how people can fall into a pattern and don't understand why it's wrong until they step away or they tell someone because, you know, when I had my eating disorder, I couldn't step away from that. I thought I was doing the right thing. But once you step back from that, you go, wow, look at all the, look at everything that's happened. Those things were not okay to be said to someone. And I wasn't even a young kid when that happened. Like I was an adult and I still couldn't, wrap my head around the right and wrong of, of what was being said. We pull open some of these glossy magazines and we, we see so-called celebrities and there's this, you know, we, we, we see Emily Seabom in the pool and she's a swimmer. She goes her head down and she's thrashing away to make the best time she does and can. But as a person, once you achieve the status you have, you become a celebrity. And we see you in, in the pages stepping out and, you, and you've had some, some public um, uh, profiled relationships and they've, it must be pretty difficult to see your public relationship played out and the disintegration of a, a relationship in the media and the likes. That, that is tough. It is. It certainly is tough and it's hard to keep things private in your life. As much as I want things private in my life, I love um, to share with, with people too, with my family and my friends. And um, yeah, I've obviously had a, a pretty nasty breakup with a fellow swimmer that helped me. I think this is why I was so su- 
susceptible to what my coach was saying because at the time, obviously, I wasn't feeling very confident about myself. Um, I'd just gotten out of a nasty relationship that ended really bad and I obviously was craving that malattention and, and wanted to feel good about myself and I thought that, you know, being skinnier or thinner or whatever it might be um, was what I needed to look like. And um, obviously I have dated two um, celebrities. I don't know if you can call them that, but yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like it's hard. Dating is hard anyway. Like it's not easy, but it's, it's not, it's not super fun when, you know, you break up and then everyone knows about it very quickly. So when you go past the, I remember going past the, uh, the news agent once and you know, the little bit of wire and they put up the daily headline in there and it said footy stars shock breakup. And I looked at it and thought, what poor bastard are they picking on now? And I went inside, it was me. <laughs> it's not that <laughs> it's not that easy. It's not no. that easy to pick up a paper and see yourself in there and having somebody report on your life, loves, relationships. It's just not easy. Definitely not. And I think, you know, I'm trying to find my person in the world and, like, I just want to find my person without everyone knowing how many relationships I've been in my life. <laughs> like, come on, I'm just a little girl. <laughs> like, let's live. <laughs> I've, got to have, I've got to kiss some toads before I find the frog, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, you're 30 now, yep. 30 now, so, yeah, still trying to. Still looking for a frog. Are you still looking for Mr. Right? Still looking for the right frog. Yeah. Are you, you, you just are you spreading the, the the net further than the swimming pool now? Oh yeah, <laughs> majorly. I mean, I can't devour too much, but yeah, I think I'm okay at the moment. Yeah, good on you. Good on you. Fantastic. I'm not going to say anything because yeah. Don't, because that'll fuel it again. I just thought I'd be a bit cheeky and ask. <laughs> I'm good at the moment. Uh, good. Excellent. <laughs> I'm Dermot Burton, and we'll be back to wrap things up with Emily Seabom in a moment. And thanks to Dare Ice Coffee for supporting the show. When your mate bottles it up, a dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? The conversations that could with Dermot Burton. Mate not feeling great? A dare fix won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay? Welcome back to the conversations that could for Are You Okay this evening. I'm Dermot Burton, and tonight we're spending some time with Emily Seabom. She's Olympic gold medalist, three times I might add, and Commonwealth Games champ in the pool. So this will resonate with somebody out there that they'll have a daughter who may have sporting aspirations, may not, may be playing team sport, and they might come in and say, Mum, Dad, don't cook as much for me tonight or, or yeah, I'm not eating today or until Thursday night. And What would you say to those parents about a, a daughter that comes in and wants to be thinner? I think for me uh, the biggest thing I can take away from my eating disorder was the fact that I was so angry to begin with. And then um, 
quite quickly I stopped talking about it and that's where I kind of went downhill is when I didn't say anything anymore because for me that was when I was trying to work it out for myself and trying to do all these things behind other people's backs. So I think for parents it's important to listen and really hear and I know at times like for my parents like it was like it was no big deal if I was like oh I'm not super hungry after training because sometimes that happens like sometimes I would finish training and I'd be so exhausted and so tired that I would eat less but obviously when that happens day after day after day after day it's a different story and I think when they're not telling you anything that's happening or how they're feeling that's a big indicator of something going wrong too I think if they start talking about from the beginning that's when you've got to have those discussions like no like you're like you don't need to do that you're perfect like and I'm I am I was 27 at the time 26 like I was going to international meets and seeing all different body shapes winning there's no perfect body shape for any sport for literally any sport there's no okay you've got to be 180 centimeters you've got to be 65 kilos and every person that's that weight and that height wins every time there's no such sport where that happens like that that's what gets me these days is knowing that I've seen all different body shapes win so you've just got to remember like as a parent there is no exact formula the formula for winning is the dedication the motivation to do it and to get your butt to training and to do the work Without those things, that nothing else comes into play. I'm telling you right now, nothing else comes into play. I've not seen the same body shape win every medal at the Olympics the four times that I've been there. Everyone's been either small or shorter or taller or wider legs or wider hips or bigger shoulders or, you know, it's, it's been so different. There's not, there's not a formula for it, for body shape. I love learning about the psyche of elite sports people. Do you go for the quickest time trial or are you a racer? Oh, I'm a racer. I've always been a racer. I think later on in my career, I actually found more of a passion to train because I knew the training got me to the racing. Whereas when I was a youngster, it was race, 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 race. That's all I loved. I hated training. I would hate to go to training. Now I can't think of anything better than going to training because if I don't put in the work, I'm not going to get the result in the racing. So it, I totally did a 180 on what I started at and I just ended up loving training almost more than I loved racing. Yeah. Um, Emily, I love you, but you're a weirdo if you love training at 5 a.m. in the morning. Hey, and the, the last question I've got about the actual sport is – for somebody who has to jump into the pool, I know you've swum other legs as well, but for such a brilliant backstroker, you're in the pool when you start. Why do you lean over, take a handful cups of water and splash yourself with it if you're still going to jump in before the race anyway? Yeah, I do three splashes every single time. Why? It was just a thing for me. I don't know. There were there's three places, right? You can either come first, second, or third. So for me, I did three splashes because I was like, I'm either going to come first, second, third here. Like, I don't see anything else. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning, it was to kind of wet your suit down so it sticks to your body a bit more. 
But then also it's like so I can feel the temp of the water before I get in. You mean it's like jumping off the Frankston Pier, the Glenelg Pier, and saying, oh, that's cold. <laughs> Not that bad, but at times it definitely surprises you. And when I'm nervous, I sweat too. So maybe it was because of that. Emily, it's been an absolute wonderful time chatting to you. You've been fantastic giving all your time to us this evening. I wish you all the best. Thank you and keep swimming strong. Thank you. Will do. I believe we can follow you on Instagram and, and all those social platforms. You're up there as you. And if this conversation has raised some issues for you, call the Butterfly Foundation's National Helpline on 1800 3346673 for support for eating disorders and body image issues. Subscribe to the podcast of the conversations that could for Are You OK wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Dermot Brereton and we'll be back next week when we'll kickstart a conversation with Dare and Are You OK. Thanks for listening. The Conversations That Could with Dermot Brereton. Mate not feeling great? A Dare fix? won't fix it, but a conversation could. Ask, are you okay?